0: We are in Romans uh, chapter 13, and we looked at the context of Romans chapter 13, particularly uh, headed down to verse 8 is where we picked up our study, but Romans 13 is the Christian's relationship to the government. And uh, we looked at several passages of scripture pertaining to that, uh, that how is a Christian to react to the government? Well, uh, we are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man, Paul tells us, for the Lord's sake. We're always to make sure that we're a testimony in everything we do pertaining to obeying the authority that's over us. I I might uh, say this. I think the whole book of Acts is written to a Roman official by Dr. Luke. Of course, God used it for us as well. But to a Roman official to show them that Christians do not in any way uh, fight the government. They just don't. There's no record in the book of Acts of Christians fighting the government. Uh, the disciples did go against the Sanhedrin, which was the uh, Jewish law in the land of Israel, but over them was the auspices of the Roman law, and Paul never went against the government. The the uh, Christians at um, Jerusalem didn't go against the government, and as Paul went throughout all of the uh, nations in his first, second, and third missionary journeys, he never, ever, told anyone to go against the government, and so we're here today as Christians, born again believers in Christ, and what's God's word for us? Well, you find it in Romans chapter 13, 1 Timothy 2, Titus 3, and 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are not to go against the government, but to be a good testimony. Now, I did mention this morning that the scriptures do allow us, if they tell us uh, that we cannot do something that's completely contrary to God's word, then we have to do it, but the consequences have to come with that. Obviously, um, we're we're living in a day where um, we're said we cannot um, we cannot be involved with hate crimes. That is to uh, publicly uh, blaspheme a group or publicly denounce things, and uh, and we don't intend on doing that. We uh, from this pulpit ever. We will just simply say, here's what God says about the matter. And God says something about everything, doesn't he? Something about everything. Uh, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So we don't have to worry. There's no matter that the government can bring up that we cannot say, thus saith the Lord. And that's as long as we're speaking the word of God, we will not go, being go going outside the mandates of God's word. And then if we are, in fact, brought to court about that, they'll have to fight with the Bible, not with us. So that's the way we want to handle things. Very carefully, obviously, and very kindly, but recognizing we want to be a testimony to the government. We want them to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Now, that's the whole context of Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 8. Paul says, don't owe any man anything but to love. Make sure that you don't owe tribute. Make sure you don't owe custom. Make sure you don't owe... uh, or uh, fear, or honor. Uh, make sure that those things are always part and consistent with your life, but make sure that you're always trying to pay the de- depth of love. Make sure that it's continual and that you are always making sure. And then he brings in, of course, uh, the, the, uh, what James calls the royal law. And what royal law is that? That thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love the Lord God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's what people are to see in us, Christ in us, that hope of glory. Now, as we looked at that together, we recognized that the end times, what God calls the last days, last parts of the last days, will be typified by a lack of love. Love will not abound. Love will grow cold. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus said that. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 for a moment, please. In Matthew chapter 24, this will be in the Great Tribulation period. The warning comes uh, from the Lord Jesus. But Paul says something similar in his uh, warnings in the book of 2 Timothy. But in Matthew chapter 24, notice uh, what the Lord Jesus says in verse 12. This will happen in the great trib. After the great uh, translation of the saints, the tribulation period begins in Matthew chapter twenty-four. Now picking up in verse twelve, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold, or wax cold, because iniquity shall abound. Wherever iniquity abounds, love is uh, is wanting. Love is lacking, and we see that. Even unto this day, head with me to 2 Timothy for a moment, please. The book of 2 Timothy. Even among Christians, this is so. Uh, But the world round about us in the book of 2 Timothy tells us there's problems coming. And Paul warns us of that. In 2 Timothy, chapter... I have to get that. All the pages are finally falling out of my Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. This know, understand this, Paul's talking to Timothy, understand this, that uh, this know also that in the last days, we are in the last days, we know it's the last days, John said it was, because there's many antichrists, now we're not in the last part of the last days, which would be the great tribulation period, but we are definitely in the last days, know that also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. And that continues down. They don't, they don't even love their family. They don't care about their family. They don't care about anything. Why? Because they love themselves. And with that comes, if you love yourself, you're covetous. If you love yourself, you you're, you're boast. You're proud. You're a blasphemer. You're disobedient to parents. You'll be unthankful and unholy without family love, without natural affection. So that's all part of the last days, but what's to be the hallmark of the Christian? He's to love, where the world will love less and less until eventually they come to the last days. Now back with me, if we could, please, to Romans chapter 13 once again. The Apostle Paul now continues down with his uh, teaching, his doctrine to the church at Rome. And he lets them know it's time for us, as born-again believers in Christ Jesus, it's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to be alert. Do not sleep as others do. Notice we're in uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And know that the time, that it is now high time to wake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. Essentially, wake up. Be alert. Be sober-minded about these things. Don't let yourself fall into a stupor. Sometimes, as Christians, we allow ourselves to fall into a complacentness and that we're just all, oh, everything's all right. I'm all right. You're all right. Everything's all right. Everything's going right. It's the time to be worried. It's time to be concerned. It's the time to make sure that you're alert because that's when the devil strikes. When you think everything's okay. You know yourself when some, uh, when some emergency comes into your life, one of your children, a, a terrible accident perhaps, or, 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 one, or one of your relatives or a, or a close friend, someone's hurt very badly, you're on your knees praying, and then they get better, your prayer life seems to fall apart. Well, what's going on? You're supposed to be as vigilant in prayer when there's not a problem as when there is. We're supposed to continue our prayer life. Wake up, Paul says. You know, we have examples of people falling asleep, don't we, in the book of Acts? The father of all those who fell asleep. Remember, Paul was teaching? He fell from the third story down to the ground. Uh, People who fall asleep. Uh, Listen, it's a struggle sometimes to stay awake, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And we find that, and I found it in my own life as a Christian. Back many years ago, I was working all kinds of hours trying to keep, you know, trying to keep body and soul together in the family and all kinds of hours. And I'd sit down in church, and before you know it, nice and warm, droning on from the minister, and I'd find my head bobbing. Um, I'll tell you, God just got a hold in my heart, and that's business. Read what Jesus says to his disciples. Could you not wake with me one hour? Could you even stay awake for an hour? When I read that passage, boing, that's it. That's it. If I have to put ice cubes in my shirt pocket, I'm going to do that just to stay awake. Why? Because I need to hear God's word. And when we're sleeping, we're not concentrating on the word of God. We need to be extra careful that we're concentrating on the word of God. You say, well, I'm tired. you will go to bed earlier. Forget about the football game. It doesn't matter. There will be no football in heaven. I know some of you are shocked by that business. But there will not be. It's not, it doesn't matter a whit at all. What's important is how I grow in Christ. I will give account, not for the patriots, for myself before the Lord. And so, no, it's time to wake up. Why? Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe? This is interesting. What does that mean? Well, it could mean. The Lord could come at any moment. 2,000 years, he could have come at any moment. He could have come all the time. Uh, In these past 2,000 years, he could come tonight. But then again, you could be dead tomorrow. So your salvation is always nearer than you believe, second by second, second by second. He says in verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Hold off the the sin. Hold on to the the good, we read in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And then he tells us, let us walk. And this is where we want to pick it up just for a few minutes tonight. Let us walk honestly as in the day. What day? In the day we're going to be present with the Lord. Let us walk honestly. As in the day, not in reveling or drunkenness, not in immorality or wantonness, not in strife or envy or envying. So God wants us to make sure that we are walking. Now what exactly does it mean to walk? And you know this passage is found in the scriptures in, on many, many occasions. What does it mean to walk? Well, first of all, recognize that the term there, let us walk, is, is continual. Keep on walking. You need to keep on doing this. This takes effort. I know the Spirit of God dwells in me. I know he wants to use me, but I have to allow him to. It takes effort. I can't sit back and say, God, do it to me. If that were true, who would do anything? Um, if you want to, uh, to get your physical strength up, you can ask the Lord to help you, but you ought to go to the gym. Do a little push-ups instead of, you know, hand-to-mouth. Do a little push-ups at the gym. See, Jim, it takes effort. You have to put in effort to get something out of it. And that's what God's Word is talking about. When God tells us to walk, what does He want from us? He wants us to make sure that we are putting in that effort into the Word of God, and He'll provide the way, He'll provide the strength, and He'll provide the direction, but I must submit myself. On several different occasions, if you look at the Old Testament, God told the nation of Israel through a prophet, an enemy's coming, I want you armed and ready. And Israel had to literally be armed and ready and go out to battle. Then God would destroy the troops. He'd destroy all of them. But Israel had to be armed and ready. See, you and I have to be armed and ready. How are we armed with the scriptures, with the word of God? That's what God wants for us, to be armed and ready. So let's look at a couple passages, if we could, please. Uh, Turn with me to the book of second, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2. How do I walk uprightly? Well, Colossians chapter 2 lets me know that. We'll start right in verse four. <clears throat> There's a warning here that people will try to beguile you. These are false teachers, with enticing words. They'll try to trip trip you up, they'll try to woo you to themselves with enticing words. Paul says, For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, joying and rejoicing and beholding your order and your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Now, how did I receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. I received him by faith. So I'm to walk in him by faith. Notice in verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught abounding with thanksgiving. That establishment in the faith is my responsibility i'm in the faith i need now to be rooted and grounded in the faith how am i rooted and grounded in the faith by reading and studying the word of god by letting the word of christ dwell in me richly how does that happen well i have to read it to know it i have to understand it um when when i was in high school i mean not in high school in, in um in the junior grades, uh, we had to learn uh, times tables. You remember that? Oh, it was torture, torture to learn it. but we had to say them over and over and over and over and over, and before you know it, I was established in my times tables. What did it take? Effort and work. What does it take to be established in the things of Christ? Effort and work. If you're not in the Bible, it will never be a part of your life. Remember, good intentions do not bring forth good results. Effort does. Effort. I, I keep meaning to do that. If you don't do it, you won't grow. You just won't. It's just the way it is. It's kind of like exercises I mentioned before. I remember back many years ago, there was a machine that you could purchase, and you, could, you slept on a table, and it had... Uh, different uh, things on the side of it, it would lift your arms for you and move your legs. So you could literally lay there and sleep and this thing would exercise your body. It didn't last very long. Why? It doesn't work. Exercise takes effort. And so that's what God's looking, exercise or effort, if you would. So what's the Christian's responsibility? Well, it's to walk. Now, turn with me to Ephesians 4. We looked at that this morning. <clears throat> but you recognize that every one of us need to exercise our spiritual life so that we can grow in Christ. But I to remind you of this. An unsaved person can never grow ever in Christ, even if they study the Bible more than you. Why? They're lacking the Spirit. It takes both, doesn't it? It takes my walk in the power of the Spirit of God. It takes my study of the Word of God. Both those things are opposite sides of the same hand. There's a requirement there that I put in the effort, but there's also the Spirit of God using the Word of God in my life. We're in Colossians chapter 4. Look with me, please, at verse 1. I, therefore, the President of the Lord, beseech you, beg you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What is the calling? It's a vocation. It's that which God has called you to. God has called you to be a child of the king. You've got to to act it. You've got to to recognize that. You've got to walk in that power. And how do I do that? With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So how do I get along with the Christian with a government that's contrary to God's word? How do I do that? Well, I walk in the spirit. I walk in the spirit, then I can. Now if I'm in my flesh, I mentioned this this morning, nothing good's going to come out of that. Uh, one of my sons um, was a, uh, studied criminal justice for a while, and, and the police, in all his criminal justice instructions, They said, when a police officer comes over to you, you say nothing but yes sir and no sir. And you put your hands on the steering wheel, both hands. If it's nighttime, you flick on the light and put both hands on the steering wheel and you just submit to the authority. And that's what we are to do, submit to the authority. Now, you say, well, what if he's one of those guys? Well, then you have to take care of that. You have to deal with that. But for for the most part, 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time. None of that is true in our lives. We're just simply to submit. And is there a reason for the rules that are out there? For the most part, it is. Is it all demonic? No, for the most part, it isn't. They're they're rules that are made for the good of the commonwealth, for the good of people, not for the bad of people. You say, well, there's some out there today. Well, we can agree with that, but recognize for the most part, None of that is true. Who will, be ha- who will harm you, Peter says, if you be followers of that which is good? You know what the answer to that is? Almost no one. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. So we need to follow God's word. We need to walk in God's spirit. And then we're not going to respond in an ungodly way. Notice 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 5. How to we walk? How am I to conduct myself? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter five. Pick it up with me, please, uh, right in verse seven. 2 Corinthians 5, seven. How are we to walk? Well, Paul told the church in Corinth, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. We're to trust God. If as you look around you at Christendom, at the world, uh, as you look around you, you start thinking, boy, things are different than they've ever been. Things aren't going so well. Things don't, don't look so hot. Uh, well, that's true, but you're going to let that discourage you or you're going to walk by faith? And know God's in control, God's sovereign, and one day God's going to straighten the whole mess up. And that's how we're to walk. We're to walk uh, by faith. Look at, back with me to Colossians chapter 1 for a minute. How are we to walk? Well, we're to walk by faith. And then God gives us a little hint here, something very, very um, unsettling if we've been lackadaisical. Notice in um, Colossians chapter 1 and in verse uh, 9. For this cause we also, Paul, we also since the day that we heard of it, their faith, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all the knowledge of God, all the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Worthy. A worthy walk. So God not only wants me to walk in newness of life, he not only wants me to walk by faith, he also says walk worthy. A worthy walk. That is a, a... I'm walking according to his mandates. I'm walking according to his will. I'm honoring him with my life, and that's worthy of him. It's worthy of him. He's the one that I want to, not, the word isn't not to impress, but you understand what I mean. I want to please him in all things. Now, how am I to do that? Well, again, it takes the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. For those of you who will be in my class on Monday night, Galatians 5, Galatians is right in the middle of the Asian peninsula, right down through the middle, uh, Galatia, and there's several churches, Laodicea was in that area, Um, but notice in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, this is a verse you all know very well, but Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, remember don't Bite and devour one another. Don't You'll be consumed of one another. You need to fulfill the law of Christ in verse 14, but in verse 16, this I say then, after saying all those things to you, how are you ever going to do this? How can I do this? It's impossible. No, it isn't. This I say then, Galatians 5, 16, walk in the spirit. Again, continual action. Keep on walking in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the the lust of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh are the strong desires. Do you ever have strong desires about things? Sure, you have. We all have. Paul said, Remember back in Romans, Paul said, I fight a battle every day. What I don't want to do, that I end up doing. What I want to do, that I don't do. That's the desires of the flesh. Now, you may have those strong desires but you will not fulfill them if you walk in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Who was it? I think it was McGee said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. That's good. The desires, those things are always going to be around us, but I can stop them from permeating this. How? By walking in the power of the Spirit of God. By conducting myself. I'm to walk in wisdom in the book of Colossians. We're also to walk in honesty. That's important, isn't it? We live in a dishonest world, a world that tries to twist your words, twist your thoughts. Uh, they say one thing and mean another. We live in a dishonest world. It's always been that way. It's just now it's on Facebook, right? We, we live in a, a world that's contrary to the word of God, but we need to make sure that we're walking in honesty. We're to walk in the light. Isn't that great? I have one. I don't have my keys with me. I have a little tiny flashlight um, on my keys. And I remember one of my kids one time making fun of me, because I've had it on there for years. Not that one, but different lights. And my kids making fun of me. And then one time we had a flat tire, and it was at night. And I took out my little light and shined. See, now you can change the tire, son. See? It isn't <coughs> A little light. What a difference it makes, does not it? A little light. Well, we have the complete light given to us. The complete light of God's word. We can see exactly what he wants from us. And so when the darkness of the world starts pressing in, you're shrouded with light. You don't have to be concerned about that. Then we're to walk in truth. Isn't that great? What's that? Turn with me to 3 John in the fourth passage. Walk in truth. That is, I'm walking according to the word of God. I'm not making anything up. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to be all concerned about what other people think. I don't have to be other concerned about what the world thinks. As long as I am walking in truth. We're in uh, 3 John. Look at verse uh, 1. This is Gaius, the elder. John is writing. And most likely, uh, according to... Uh, Bible scholars, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. We're not exactly sure about that. Remember, uh, John was uh, sent to the island of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. It's right off Ephesus, really, in the middle of the Aegean Sea. He was sent there as part of a time served uh, as a prisoner. But he's writing to Gaius. He's probably writing to Gaius, who's at the, at the church at Ephesus. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love, in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came to me and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What is the truth here? Well, here. It's it's that which is absolute in all its aspects and essence. That's God's word. Everything else, everything else can be turned to a lie, but God's word can't. It's always true, and I can always trust it. I always believe it, why? Because it's always God's word. Remember, our Lord Jesus was called the truth. So God wants me to walk worthy of the vocation to which we are called. Then I can respond to the government rightly. If I'm not walking worthy, I'm going to let them get under my skin. And they can, can't they? They can bother you terribly. But as long as I'm walking in the word of God, they won't bother me. And either will others bother me. Okay, turn with me back to Romans chapter 13 now. Back to Romans chapter 13. Now, the, Paul gives a command, and it's a wonderful command, But it's it's not something that we can just take for granted. In Romans chapter 13, what does he want me to do? Well, notice if you would, in Romans 13 and verse 14, here's the answer he says. You know, waking up, don't be in darkness, walking in honesty, not in immorality. Here's the answer to it all. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision For the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed the metaphor in the scriptures about putting on clothing or taking off clothing? The scriptures, uh, there's many, many passages, particularly in the New Testament, that refer to that. That the believer's clothing is not a real garment, but righteousness and holiness in the Holy Spirit. That's the real garment of a believer. And that's what it means by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a couple of passages that we want to look at concerning that. But uh, I'm I'm concerned that I'm I'm boring you with this. I certainly don't want to do that. But when my wife and I lived in Maine uh, for a few years, there was a farm up the road from us, and that farm had milk for sale. And so we went up, and we talked to that farmer, and he said, uh, when you come, you know, you can take milk, fresh milk. His cows were tested and all this business. Fresh milk. He said, make sure you go in, and you turn on the machine, and it mixed up the, the cream. And, and when we got the milk, oh, it's the best milk we ever had, I think. Well, one day I went to get milk, and he said, you know, some of my cows had calves. Would you like to bring your kids? Now, Amy was uh, 10 or 11, and And Bill was younger, and and Michael was just, uh, he might not have even been born, I don't remember. But anyway, it was was the early spring. And it was in Maine, early spring lasts till sometime in July. uh, Freezing up there. So anyway, I said, yes, I went home and got my kids, and Nance stayed home, Uh, I think she stayed home with Michael. And we went up, and we went to see these baby calves, and he opened the barn doors and let us go in. Oh. What a stink, that barn. It was unbelievable. You know, cow urine. And you could, you, just, you, know, you could feel it on your eyelids. It was horrible. Well, anyway, we went in and we looked at the baby calves and the kids got to pat them. And, and we're walking by all these cows and stalls, you know, one lick right up the side of my coat. Oh, it was dreadful. Well, anyway, we got home. You know, we were all excited. We got our milk. We got home and we walked in the house and Nancy said, Whoo! You guys stink. And we did. We didn't realize it. We we smelled just like cow urine and and the other stuff that goes with that. Well, I took off my coat. It was an older coat anyway. And I hung it in the closet. And uh, on one occasion, I went back and opened the closet door. Just as bad as the day the cow licked me. It was horrible, horrible. That's the flesh. It stinks. It's rotten. And you can't clean it up. That's the flesh. And here you are a believer in Christ Jesus. You have the ability to walk in the word of God. You have the power inside to to do the things of God. And you go back in the closet and put that stinking coat back on. And many Christians do that. They go back to the former manner of life. What does God call us to do? You've got to put that off. You, you've got to put that off or you'll never grow. You'll never go anywhere. You'll, you'll, you'll never walk with God the way you should. You'll always be in problems. You'll always have troubles in your life. You'll always be in turmoil if you're putting on that old garment. God wants us to put on the new, doesn't he? And there's several passages. Let's look at that if we can, please. It's really the responsibility of the Christian to exhibit Christ's likeness. It's not an option. I have to exhibit Christ's likeness. So let's begin, please, if we can. Uh, Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. There's several places in the scriptures where God uses the metaphor about putting off and putting on, as if it were a clothing effect. Now, I know that it's righteousness and holiness, but he he uses it as a clothing effect just to condescend to men, so we'll get the message here. We're in Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me, please, at verse 24. You're very familiar with this. Ephesians 4, 24. Well, let's go back to verse 17 if we can. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord uh, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. This is the way the world does it. You ought to be different than that. They have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Essentially, you're not, but they are. You shouldn't be doing what they're doing. You shouldn't get involved with what they're doing. You're you're, you're supposed to be different here. What about them? Well, they have past feelings. They've given themselves over unto, my Bible says, lasciviousness. It's a life without restraint. If it feels good, do it. Uh, They work all kinds of uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Isn't that great, that's a command to you and I. That's not what you learned. You have learned something different from the word of God. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Peter says some interesting things about this. I will not have you turn to it. But he talks about people and he kind of questions are they really believers? He said they're like dogs. That return to their own farming. That's a horrible thing to think about. But that's what he's talking about. Are they really Christians at all? What, what happened? What's going on here? What's wrong? Why? He says uh, to you and I, you have not so learned cre- uh, uh, Christ. If so be you've been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. See, it's not a garment. It's between your ears. It's between your ears. That's the battle for the Christian life. It's right here. My arm doesn't do anything I don't want it to do. My, my, my feet don't go anywhere I don't want them to go. It's my battle of my mind. And they said that you put on the new man um, that you put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he gives example of putting on the new man. If you put on the new man, you're going to put away lying. You're going to speak the truth with your neighbor. You're not going to be angry. You're not going to steal. You're not going to let corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Why? Because when you're walking in the power of the Spirit of God, you can't do that. It's when you stop walking in the Spirit, then you will do that. We're to put on... The new man, you know, of course, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10 for a moment, please. Back up if you could, please, right to verse 5. Mortify, therefore, put to death... Your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Those are the vices of life. That's what people do. Say, well, I only have one vice. Well, stop it. It's not right. That's the world stuff. Verse 6. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked when you lived in them. But now... Uh, But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, uh, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put on, put off rather, the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man that is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So God wants us to put off that clothing. And you know, after you take a shower and and you you get away from that, all the the filth and grime of working in the yard or whatever it is, you're not going to go back and put on those clothes again. You're clean now. You, You don't want those dirty clothes. I didn't want to put on that jacket anymore that smelled horrifically. Why? Because I was clean now. And once you become a Christian, the same thing should take place in your life. I don't don't want that stuff. I remember what that was like. I remember the the drinking. I remember all that went with that, and it was horrible. And now I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have put on Christ. Why would I ever go back and put on the world? One last passage, and we'll close. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 30, please, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter one. Actually, we only have we have two verses, but just give me uh, this for a moment. First Corinthians chapter one. Let's pick it up if we could. Right in verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1 26. You see your calling, brethren. Now, this is a a mental recognition of really what you are but who you are in Christ. Notice, you see your calling, brethren, that how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Uh, Why? Because they don't need God. They're all set, they think. Everything's fine with me. That's your crutch. That's your medicine, if you would. They, They don't need God. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, uh, which are despised, God hath chosen; yea, to bring, uh, yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing the things which are, to show the world an example. Verse twenty-nine: that no glory should, no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are you in Christ Jesus. Back in Romans thirteen, when He says, "Put on Christ," this is the same, same thought here. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Remember, we have this treasure, Christ in us, that hope of glory in this earthen vessel. And we need to live by it and live through it live through the power of the Spirit of God, live by the Word of God, and then Christ will be seen in us. One last passage, and we'll quit. 2 Peter chapter 1. What does God want from me? Well, he tells me very plainly to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. How can I do that? Well, it's by letting the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. The Spirit of God using the Word of God in my life. Now we're in 2 Peter Chapter 1, let's look, please, according uh, in verses 3 and 4. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God in our lives to help us escape that corruption. And we see that in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 3. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who hath called us to glory and virtue. verse four, by which you are given by which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you meet you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. So you have the Word of God. Now how, how do I handle this? How, how do I walk in this? How do I, how do I allow this to function in my life? Well, I need to grow, don't I? Verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. You see, that's, that's your responsibility. I have faith. I need to study God's word, look at God's word, and now allow God to produce character in my life. Character, uh, it's it's. It's a a moral excellence. I need to add character to my life. And how does that happen? It only happens by the scriptures. It only happens by submitting to the word of God. So give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue. And to virtue knowledge. Knowledge of what? The world and its system? No, that's all going its way. But I need to add to my character knowledge. Knowledge of the word of God. And to knowledge self-control. That's the walk in the power of the spirit of God and to self-control, patience, and godliness, and godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things be in you and abound, it's not enough, they're just in you, they need to pop up to the surface, abound. If these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then I can handle the world and anything that comes my way, Then I can handle the world I live in and the government that is authority over me. And I believe that's what all of Romans chapter 13 is pointing out, the Christian and his responsibility to the government, but his responsibility to the Lord, and that will flesh out as I walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in in your word. It's precious to us. Uh, Father, we see uh, things going on round about us that give us concern, concern about uh, the United States of America, concern about uh, even uh, the state of Rhode Island. And yet, Father, we know that you are sovereign over all things. I cannot fix any of the problems in the United States nor in the state of Rhode Island, but I can fix myself. I can walk in the power of the Spirit of God. I can hearken unto the Word of God. I can be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. And then, Father, will my mind be set upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and not upon things below, We're to set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Father, help us to do that by the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit of God, in each life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.